You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. I'm so sorry all this had to happen. I'm so sorry that I couldn't rescue you. An emotional message from a father to his son, one of the two teens wanted in a nationwide manhunt. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking developments in the Canada-wide search for two Port Alberni teens suspected in the deaths of three people in northern BC. Charges have now been laid against the teens in one of the murders. And RCMP confirming a vehicle found burning in northern Manitoba is the SUV that 19-year-old Cam McLeod and 18-year-old Briar Schmigelski were last seen driving. Ramina Dea now with the very latest on the nationwide search and the challenges RCMP are facing. Gillam, Manitoba, now the epicenter of a nationwide manhunt for two B.C. teenaged murder suspects on the run. We are also reminding everyone that these suspects should not be approached. And if you do see them, to call 911. RCMP now confirming the charred remains of the RAV4 discovered dumped in the bush near Gillam is the getaway vehicle driven by 18-year-old Bryce Magelski and his childhood friend, 19-year-old Cam McLeod. The Port Alberni teens traveling east across three provinces. Their first vehicle, a truck with a camper, discovered near Dees Lake on Friday. It was also burned out. Schmigelski and McLeod wanted on a Canada-wide warrant in connection to the deaths of three people. Lucas Fowler from Australia and his girlfriend China Dees from North Carolina. Both were shot. RCMP not saying how the third victim, Leonard Dick of Vancouver, died. I uh, locked the doors last night and I just kind of, well, I actually barricaded a sin because I don't need them pushing the door open if they're, you know, lurking around the area. Sheila Bruer, one of many Gillam residents who are anxious, the town being warned to take precautions. I know that some people are scared. I mean, something like this has never happened. So a lot of people are kind of worried, locking, keeping their doors locked. Like We don't know where they are. And if they are in the area and you feel that uh, uh, you feel unsafe, then uh, I would just stay indoors uh, or always travel in groups. Police checkpoints have been set up between Gillam and Fox Lake. The teen suspects have traveled 3,000 kilometers, literally to the end of the road. Only one way in, one way out by vehicle. Well, I just hope they catch this guy like so we can all go back to our normal lives, you know. All right, Ramina joins us now from the newsroom with more. Ramina, you have more on the charge the teens are now facing and what the family of the victim found in Dees Lake is saying tonight. Sophie, the investigation moving at a rapid pace. We just got word from the RCMP about the charge that you mentioned uh, right before the story there. So it's one count of second-degree murder in connection to the death of Leonard Dick of Vancouver. So no mention of any charges in connection to the deaths of Lucas Fowler and China Dees, the RCMP not saying why. So we know one count of second-degree murder in connection to Mr. Leonard Dick. He is the last victim to be identified 
His body was discovered near Dee's Lake on Friday. His family, as you mentioned, they have just released a, a statement. They say that we are truly heartbroken by the sudden and tragic loss of Len. He was a loving father and husband. His death has created an unthinkable grief, and we are struggling to understand what has happened. Sophie. All right. Thanks for that. Ramina Dea reporting live for us tonight. Meantime, Port Alberni is reeling, trying to process the idea that two teens from their community are wanted in connection with such an unfathomable tragedy. Kylie Stanton explains what experts are saying about the pair and the chilling new information from the father of one of the teens. It was years ago, but now more haunting than ever. Madison Hempstead is just trying to process it all. Her once former classmate, Briar Schmigelski, now a suspected killer. He would say things about how he would like cut our heads off and then he would take a gun and put it in his mouth and shoot himself in front of us. The now 18-year-old and his friend Cam McLeod are the subject of a nationwide manhunt, wanted for three murders in northern B.C. Their last known whereabouts, Gillum, Manitoba, roughly 3,000 kilometers away from the small Vancouver Island community they grew up in. Crazy story. Oh my God, it's terrible. Uh, especially from Port Alberni. Um, we don't uh, have a lot of that. Many here rattled by the latest developments. Whether you know these boys or not, um, everybody is connected somehow, so it's really difficult news to hear um, and to kind of take in and understand. As for the McLeod family, no one here was willing to comment. The teens had been working at the local Walmart, but were relatively reclusive, spending much of their time together. At this point, the motive in the case is still unknown, but experts say it generally boils down to just a few things. The number one motive is a uh, sexual motive, number two is money, but number three is thrill or enjoyment, and that accounts for about 25% of motives among teen killers. Breyer's father, Alan Schmigelski, told media his son has had a troubled upbringing since his split from the teen's mother back in 2005. His main influences, video games and YouTube. Now he fears for his son's life. He's going to be dead today or tomorrow. I know that. I would say... Kylie Stanton, Global News, Port Alberni. Well, back to northern BC and Dees Lake, a community shaken by what's unfolded along the highway through their town. First, Nadia Stewart has a closer look at what's believed to be the timeline of the suspects' travel through the area. Monday morning, just before 7 o'clock, tourists in a car with Wisconsin plates come racing down Highway 97, alerting road maintenance crews to two bodies laying by the side of the road. Police suspect the victims, Lucas Fowler and China Deese, were shot dead by 19-year-old Cam McLeod and 18-year-old Briar Schmigelski. But by then, the pair are long gone, continuing their deadly drive north and not to the Yukon looking for work as they initially told their families when they left Port Alberni. Their next stop, 381 kilometers away. We never knew that they were um, suspects in a murder. Claudia Bunt says McLeod and Schmigelski were in her Jade City store. Surveillance cameras captured them on Thursday, July 18th. They came in, obviously, for the free coffee. It said free coffee. We have signs everywhere. We don't know what time they were in here, but... Um, if they would have slept here, spent a couple of more hours here, um, 
our community very well could have been the community that this ended up happening in. Three days after Fowler and Deese were killed, the pair move on to Deese Lake. Police still won't say how the third unidentified victim died, but we know the vehicle McLeod and Schmigelski were driving was set on fire in exchange for a 2011 Toyota RAV4 that since been found, burned and abandoned in northern Manitoba. Dees Lake was the pair's last known stop in B.C. And the fears first felt here and along Highway 97 have now descended upon northern Manitoba. And all along the way, there are unanswered questions. Nadia Stork, Global News, Dees Lake. Well, as you might imagine, the events of the past 10 days have been hard to fathom, especially in a community of just a few hundred. Sarah McDonald is in Dees Lake tonight with more on the investigation there and the concern in the community. Sarah. Sophie, those living in this remote community tell us the police presence here is unprecedented. You heard Nadia reference those mounting questions. Tonight, investigators are still looking for answers here in Dees Lake. Only the shell of this charred vehicle last driven by the country's most wanted teenage murder suspects remains where it was set ablaze last week. Investigators meticulously sifting through the vehicle's contents, including the central processing unit of a computer, six days after it was first discovered burning off an isolated stretch of highway in northern BC. It's terrifying. You know, sometimes I would travel with me and my children to go to doctor's appointments, dentist appointments, to terrace. You know, that's six, seven hours. And to do it alone, I'm not doing it alone ever again. We now know the identity of the man whose body was discovered nearby. RCMP identifying Leonard Dick of Vancouver as the alleged third murder victim in a cross-province killing spree. Briar Schmigelski and Cam McLeod now charged in his murder. It appears some of these crimes occurred in areas that are very remote where there's not a lot of maybe possible witnesses if something goes wrong, and maybe possibly these people were targeted because of the areas they were in. And whoever pulled the trigger on the victims has claimed another casualty, the laid-back way of life in this famously remote region. You know, if they had cell service, maybe they could run and call 911. And we don't even have 911. Long-standing concerns over connectivity or the dire lack of it on hundreds of kilometers of highway now renewed. This is the first time ever I've had 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 that happen, had murders this close to home. It's kind of like, what do you do? You know, where do you go? Those who call this region home, like Ramona and Candace Kwok, have grown accustomed to the isolation. There used to be so much freedom in the community now, and it's now it seems like it's gone. Those living here now thinking twice about helping travelers in need on the isolated artery running through their communities. I like helping people. But after this, it's like, I'll keep driving, sorry. That's the way I feel. With the eyes of the world now on the manhunt, provinces away. Still, those suspects have left an indelible imprint on this province in their wake. And those living on the front lines of this murder mystery now generating global interest say their sense of safety and security has been shattered, at least for now. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Sarah McDonald reporting. Well, a former employee has been charged in connection with the murder of a longtime Vancouver businessman. John Leslie McIver's body was found in his appliance and service store last month. Ted Chernecki has more on what we're learning about the man arrested and the charge he's now facing. The brands that we offer are minimal. 
It took less than a month for Vancouver police to make an arrest in the murder of 78-year-old John McIver. He ran an appliance business in South Vancouver for more than a half century. On the morning of June 26th this year, a family member discovered his body in the store near Main and East 69th Avenue. Today, a former employee has been charged with his murder. A second-degree murder charge is now being approved by Crown Counsel against Brian Roger Holt, who is a Vancouver resident. And Mr. Holt has been remanded in custody until his next court appearance. It isn't clear for how long or how recently 36-year-old Brian Holt worked at McIver Appliances. In a statement, the family said, Thank you to the Vancouver Police Department for all their diligent work in bringing this case forward. They have been nothing but professional, compassionate, and good people to deal with. Over the last four weeks, our family has stood together for one another and the family business as we honor our dad's love for us and his customers. As the case is before the courts, we will have no further comment at this time. We're still looking to speak to anybody who has any information about this uh, offence. Anybody that we've not yet spoken to uh, is asked to give us a call. Police say Holt was arrested earlier this week without incident. Charges were formally sworn in this morning. Ted Chernacki, Global News. The victim of a stabbing on board a TransLink bus in Richmond has now died. Yesterday afternoon, RCMP received numerous calls of a fight between two passengers on board a Coast Mountain bus near Number 3 Road and Camby. When officers arrived, they found a 42-year-old man with serious stab wounds. He has now died of his injuries. A 22-year-old Richmond resident was arrested and released pending further investigation. It's very early in the investigation still, but we believe that this uh, was a random argument uh, that escalated into a physical assault that unfortunately has led to the death of one man. Determining what happened, what initiated this argument, will be the priority task for our investigators. The VPD is warning the public once again to be wary of distraction theft. The warning comes after a 77-year-old woman was victimized in her own backyard. Police say a man and woman drove up in an SUV. The woman got out, approached the victim, and forced several pieces of costume jewelry into her hands. The victim told the woman to leave, then realized later that a gold bracelet had been removed from her wrist during the altercation. These thieves will target people who are in public who are visibly wearing jewelry. The people who do distraction thefts are, uh, are sly, they're sneaky. Uh, the way they find success is by kind of overwhelming their victims and confusing them. The VPD is offering a few tips on how not to become a victim of distraction theft. Don't let anyone invade your personal space. Tell anyone who tries to give you jewelry to get lost. Be assertive and call the VPD right away. The man accused of killing Abbotsford Constable John Davidson will not be taking the stand. Defense lawyer Martin Peters telling the court today that Oscar Arfman will not be testifying in his own defense. Arfman is accused of shooting and killing Davidson back in November of 2017. He has pleaded not guilty to a charge of first-degree murder. The trial has now been adjourned until final arguments on August 1st and 2nd. A grieving mother right now, a grieving mother calls it a mystery that's haunted her family for years. When her son died in his truck, she decided to donate it to the Langley Fire Department for training, eventually to be destroyed. But months later, it somehow ended up back on the road. John Hua now on what happened and what's being done to ensure such a mix-up never happens again. It was probably parked right there. Darren Smith says it was like seeing a ghost. 
And I parked and walked over to it, and sure enough, it was my truck. It was the 2007 Honda Ridgeline his son Jamal had died in three years ago. A truck that was supposed to be destroyed was somehow back on the road. I just felt like my heart stopped and my whole world was just came to a shatter. I just couldn't believe it. The news devastating for mother Patty Marciano, forced to remember that her 23-year-old son was found eight days after his overdose death. They had to identify him through his dental records because he had decomposed in the backseat of my vehicle. The truck taken to Clover Towing was deemed a biohazard. Not wanting to drive it or sell it, Marciano asked to have it scrapped. Instead, staff said it could be donated to the Langley Fire Department. Used for life-saving training in Jamal's name. I think that he would have wanted something good to come out of what happened. Instead, a grieving parent's wish was never granted. What really happened haunting this family for years. Even to this day when I see a gray Honda Ridgeline, I, I, I look at it thinking, maybe that's my truck. After years of searching for the truth, Global News discovered in just days, the vehicle was never donated. But unfortunately, this didn't happen because of, there was a biohazard contamination in the vehicle, so we couldn't do that. The truck was sold as salvage, not thinking someone would strip it down, clean it, fix it, and resell it. Clover Towing adding new policies to ensure this doesn't happen again. It was never Clover Towing's intention to profit from this situation. I really feel and empathize with Patty because uh, I have three boys myself, and I can only imagine the hurt she must feel when she sees that, sees that vehicle. While the truck can't be taken off the road, the stalled journey towards closure for these parents can finally resume. John Hua, Global News. New information tonight about Project Reconciliation, an Indigenous-led organization seeking to buy a majority stake in the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more. Keith, some members of the group were in Vancouver today. What's the latest yep. on their bid? Yeah, so this is a, a very serious bit. It's becoming increasingly apparent that uh, the best way or only way perhaps for that pipeline to get built is if it uh, solicits considerable support from First Nations communities. So Project Reconciliation is one of at least two consortiums of First Nations, uh, either in B.C. or across Western Canada, who have expressed an interest in purchasing a potential majority equity stake in the pipeline. Talks have begun preliminary on the preliminary stage with the federal government about that. And as a double way past the executive director, Director of Project Reconciliation explained to us today, a lot of work has been done on this, so uh, get ready for more news on this front in the days ahead. We have a 20-member team uh, out of Calgary. We've done considerable amount of work and research, making sure we understand what government wants, what Indigenous communities wants, our nations, our leaders, and, um, and our elders, our youth, and so on and so forth. So we, we feel good about where we're at because of the, um, you know, we've been at this for a long time now, and the stuff that we put together, the, the package, the presentations, you know, the transparency and openness of our approach, um, I think positions us very well. So Project Reconciliation now begins or continues with a lengthy consultation process with First Nations all along the pipeline route. Uh, this particular group also includes First Nations from right across Western Canada. And of course, the federal election is going to stand everything down, I think, until the outcome of that is decided. But you're going to be hearing a lot from this group and other First Nations communities who are more interested in building the pipeline than stopping it in the months ahead. I'm sure. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Well, people on the Lower Mainland like to complain about transit, but TransLink has just won a major award. 
TransLink has been named the best large public transit system in North America by the American Public Transportation Association. The association looked at the period between 2016 and 2018 when TransLink saw its ridership grow by 18 percent while achieving record highs in on-time performance. The award also cites TransLink's ambitious plan to expand service and upgrade its infrastructure. A NewsHour follow-up now to a battle over development in one of the most popular destinations in Metro Vancouver. Fort Langley residents packed the Township of Langley Council meeting this week to debate the future of the village. And as Julia Foy reports, a division was on full display in the emotional public meeting. And if you go ahead and allow this to happen here now, Please change Lover to Woodward, call it Fort Woodward, and just accept that. The sparks were flying fast and furious at the Township of Langley's council meeting. The boarded up buildings is an embarrassment. The gallery was packed with residents who are on opposing sides of a battle over whether several boarded up businesses in Fort Langley should be saved or sent to the dump. Well, very concerned about, obviously about Fort Langley with the heritage nature of the, uh, the community. Most of those buildings that are being demolished aren't heritage. Fort Langley has been divided since longtime landowner Eric Woodward applied to redevelop several properties in 2017. After council required changes, he withdrew his applications. Woodward's company, Statewood Properties, then evicted the tenants in the businesses and houses and boarded them up last year. In October, Eric Woodward was elected a Township of Langley councillor. His company recently applied for a heritage alteration permit to demolish the boarded up buildings. The township's Heritage Advisory Committee recommended the demolition because they're not designated as heritage buildings. The Eric Woodward Foundation wants to replace the structures with green space and play areas until redevelopment. Woodward had to recuse himself from the public hearing and is not allowed to talk to his fellow council members about this. The failure to repair and upkeep the buildings should not be rewarded. But the people who turned out had lots to say about the future of the birthplace of B.C. We don't sell our culture to the highest bidder. Surely there are other options than simply demolition. Other residents are ready to move on. It only makes sense to demolish the buildings and replace them with green space. Empty lots obviously don't make sense to anyone. Most of the buildings along Glover are not salvageable. The Township of Langley Council will make a decision on the heritage alteration permit in September. Until then, residents of Fort Langley will have to try and heal their divided community. I'm hoping for peace among neighbours in Fort Langley. Nobody wins in a war. Julia Foy, Global News. A Washington state man has been given two life sentences for the murders of a young B.C. couple more than 30 years ago. Before you the crime that I did not commit. The level of violence in this is something that I can't even comprehend. William Earl Talbot professing his innocence to the very end, denying that he killed 18-year-old Tanya Van Kylenborg and 20-year-old Jay Cook back in 1987. The Saanich couple were traveling to Seattle when they disappeared. Their bodies found days later in two different locations. DNA found on one of the victim's pants was tested by genealogists using the public database GEDmatch, which led investigators to Talbot. Further DNA testing tied him to the crime scene. 
Talbot will serve the two life sentences consecutively without parole. Family and friends of the victims in court today relieved at finally seeing justice done. No words sum it up better than thank God. Talbot is finally off the streets. We, along with the people of Skagit and Snohomish County, can all breathe a sigh of relief. Some of us wanted a shirt or a sweater. You could wear them. You could put them to your nose and smell him. I still have that old sweater in my dresser drawer. And I still, for four years, I still heard him uh, running up the back steps to the kitchen door. Former special counsel Robert Mueller testified before Congress today on his investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. election. Director, who did the Russian social media campaign ultimately intend to benefit? Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? Donald Trump. Mueller repeated his report's conclusion that while he did not make a determination as to whether Donald Trump should be charged with obstruction... The report does not exonerate the president. In Health Matters tonight, the B.C. government has established a new program aimed at solving a problem most people don't know exists. Linda Aylesworth explains why doctors who perform elective surgeries on extremely obese patients are being paid more. Most people know that obesity can increase the risk of developing any number of health issues, but it can also make surgery more risky and technically challenging. They have higher risk of post-operative complications, including infection, longer stays in the hospital, and sometimes higher rate of readmission for complications. In a survey three years ago, four out of five BC surgeons said they had delayed or even declined elective surgeries over concerns about those complications. If it is possible to delay or postpone a surgery while the patient is uh, improved in that condition, that is in the patient's best interest. But waiting for things to improve isn't always an option. So a few months ago, the B.C. government implemented a plan to compensate surgeons and anesthesiologists while in the O.R. with patients who have a body mass over 35. So the surcharges are designed to offset uh, both technical challenges involved with dealing with high BMI patients, but actually also the additional time. Time for the surgery, time to anesthetize the patient. In the case of a hysterectomy, a surgeon would be paid a base fee of $654, but would receive $72 extra for every 15 minutes the surgery exceeded the standard time of two hours. For now, the surcharge, money that's being redistributed from existing funds, is available to general surgeons and anesthesiologists, but the list is expected to grow. I understand that obstetrics and gynecology uh, and our orthopedic colleagues are actually looking at it as well. In other health news tonight, the maker of a controversial breast implant is recalling the product at the request of the U.S. FDA. Allergan is recalling its textured breast implants, which have been linked to cancer. That follows a decision in May by Health Canada to suspend the product's licenses in this country. More than 500 cases of breast implant-associated lymphoma are linked to the implants, 22 in Canada. The FDA is not recommending women with the implants have them removed unless they're experiencing symptoms of lymphoma, which include swelling, pain and irritation. 
Back to our top story now. The nationwide manhunt for two Port Alberni teenagers wanted in connection with the deaths of three people in northern B.C. Rumina Dea joins us live in the newsroom. There have been a number of developments today, uh, many of them coming late this afternoon. Rumina, several late-breaking rapid moving story here as far as this investigation is concerned, Sophie. Now, the last victim has now been identified. He's from Vancouver. His name is Leonard Dick. He's 64 years old. His family releasing a statement just a short time ago saying that they are heartbroken and struggling to understand what happened. Now, the teens are facing a second-degree murder charge only in connection to the death of Mr. Dick. His body was found on Friday near Dees Lake. Now, also a new development today, we know that the burned-out SUV found in the Gillam area of Manitoba yesterday was the getaway vehicle driven by 19-year-old Cam McLeod and 18-year-old Briar Schmigelski. Now, Briar's father spoke to the media today in a very chilling and emotional interview. Take a listen. He's going to be dead today or tomorrow. I know that. I would say. Rest in peace, Brian. I love you. I'm so sorry all this had to happen. I'm so sorry that I couldn't rescue you. Now, Sophie, it's unclear at this point if the teens are on foot or if they're in another vehicle. RCMP are asking every Canadian to exercise extreme caution at this point. The teens are considered dangerous. They are telling the public to not approach them, to just call 911. Now, in the latest release by RCMP, they did not explain why there are no charges in the homicides of the other two victims. We know that Lucas Fowler and China Dees were shot, but that's all police are saying. Back to you. All right, Rumina, and we'll check back with you in case there are any more breaking details on this story. Thank you. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at our weather forecast. Mother Nature put on a great show last night, and it looks like a beautiful evening tonight, Christy. Yes, we really transformed today from showers this morning and thunderstorms last night to this, Sophie. First, though, I wanted to tell you about a new report that just came out today from the Ministry of Environment and Climate Change Strategy of BC. Uh, it's a climate risk assessment, and its aim is to understand the risks that we will face as climate change continues here in BC in order to rank them, and then be, be able to prepare for them in the years to come. Uh, there were 15 that were ranked, the top six all at high. Here are some of the top three. Severe wildfire season. We've experienced that in the last two years. These are things that we will continue to experience uh, in the years to come, although we're not seeing it this year so far. And also seasonal water shortage and heat waves. Those are some of the top three risks. And you'll note that they're all well associated. And and then the other three or of the top six, ocean acidification. This is where there's a reduction in the pH in the ocean. It's a huge risk to the ocean ecosystem. Glacier mass loss and long-term water shortage. Now, this is a very comprehensive report helping to us, uh, helping us understand climate change for BC. Uh, and we will have more about this in the in the weeks to come. So, very interesting, but just a preliminary report right now. More information you can check out the actual 
Bureau report. I've tweeted it out. Uh, yes, a very stormy night, that's for sure. All of the action right now is off in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Now, we had some reports of damage from the thunderstorms here in B.C. in the West Kootenai region with downed trees uh, in the area in Terrace, uh, as well as the thunderstorms now. There's uh, reports of uh, tornadoes northeast of Edmonton. We're just expecting rain, not much other than sunshine in through the south and the rain across the north. So not much going on here. Thankfully, things have eased off since what we saw last night, Sophie, and uh, we're headed for a pretty nice stretch of weather other than a few showers on Friday night. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Christy. A security camera in the Colorado town of Lyons has captured a very determined and talented bear. After opening up two large gates to get at a dumpster behind a cannabis store, the bear tries to open it up. Not having much luck, it decides to just take the entire thing with it, getting up on its hind legs and dragging the bin through the gates. That's a big bin too. Unfortunately for the bear, it still couldn't get the bin, uh, the bin open and eventually had to abandon its snack. So strong. Determined. And determined, yes. I'm sure it found a meal somewhere. <laughs> All right, let's head back to the Vancouver Golf Club. Jay, Jana, we're standing by with the NBA trophy. Jay, good gig. Yeah, you know what, Soph, I've been beside the Stanley Cup, the Grey Cup, and now the Larry O'Brien Trophy. We'll chat with Alex McKechnie in a second, the Raptors assistant coach. But today, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were officially welcomed to the LA Clippers, and Kawhi wanted to say a big thank you to all of Canada and, of course, the Raptors for his season. Like I was going to say, uh, just thank all of uh, Toronto, the city, the country. Um, you know, it was a great, amazing season, best parade ever. I also just want to... Um, you know, thank the city as far as the restaurants, um, you know, giving up that Kawhi and dine uh, throughout the playoffs. Uh, took advantage of that. <laughs> you know, the players, they already know what's up. Um, you know, text, FaceTime me, we'll talk. Uh, coaching staff as well. And uh, the whole organization really, uh, just thank the whole city. Yeah, thanks to Toronto, thanks to Canada, and thanks to Alex McKechnie, the assistant coach of the Toronto Raptors, the director of sports science. What a 48 hours it has been for you. This trophy has been all over the lower mainland. Why was it important for you to share this with as many people as, as you have, Alex? Well, I think it's, uh, first of all, my, my career started right here. I mean, I moved here from Scotland back in 74, but I started with Simon Fraser, and it was important for me to take this through Burnaby, through City Hall, through the firefighters group that have been so supportive of me over the years, and, of course, into the BC Hall of Fame, which, you know, I think is pretty special. And the amount of people that saw it was, was quite amazing, really. The amount of kids coming through there yesterday was alarm. It was just amazing. I know we've talked about how special the season was. You've worked with a lot of special players in your career, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant. What was it like with Kawhi this year? I, was, I mean, Kawhi is, is an amazing talent. It's pretty evident. But he is a very very professional, very special person. I mean, every single day it was very organized, very controlled. I, I met with him on a regular basis, and we, we structured everything. It was, it was pretty special, and there's no question about it why he's so good. He's, he, he, he is all business. He spoke at length today. Well, 
at length requires about a minute and a half, but he talked about the City of Toronto and the parade. You talked to me about how special the parade f was for you. You won five championships with the Lakers, one with the Raptors, but you also told me a story a week ago about everywhere the Raptors go in North America, in the NBA cities, there's Raptors fans everywhere. Everywhere. It's, it's, they travel unbelievably well all through the border towns, you know, Cleveland, Detroit, uh, Milwaukee, uh, Minnesota, Portland, these areas. Uh, the snowbirds that they drive down from, from Vancouver, from, from uh, Winnipeg, the border towns all through Toronto, the Windsor, all those areas, incredible. Then we see them in, in Florida, we see them in you know, Miami, Orlando, we see them in Los Angeles, we see them in, uh, in Phoenix. It's absolutely amazing how well we travel, amazing. You know what's amazing is the amount of Raptor fans. We haven't had the NBA in our city for, for over a decade now, but you see people get up close and personal with this trophy. It's been here at the Vancouver Golf Club all day. This steady stream of people. What do you notice when you bring this trophy to people? Well, I think there's a shock, a bit of a shock. You know, they can't believe it's there. The first thing they say is, "Wow, I can't believe how big it is." I guess it looks so small, and you know, compared to some of the players that we that handle it, you know, over the years. But yeah, they're, they're quite shocked by it, overwhelmed a little bit. They're just amazed that it's here. Some of the comments have been quite interesting. Some people say, "I can't believe I've actually see this. I'm close to it. Uh, you know, I only see it on TV. I never thought I would ever see it." Yeah, it's quite amazing. You've been at this for quite a few decades now, and, and you're the top in, in your profession. Just summarize quickly, quickly for me what this whole season meant for you. This is uh, probably, uh, it, was, it was magical, the best way I could put it. Absolutely magical. It started and just grew and just evolved and exploded. You're a gentleman of the game and you've shared this trophy with as many people as you can in the last 40 hours. Thanks for doing this on behalf of all the basketball fans. This young lady here has been incredible. This is Tiana. She's come with us. She's the keeper of the trophy. She's looked after everything, let me tell you. Well, listen, we're going to keep it here for a few more minutes. Thank you very much. Best of luck in the upcoming season. Thanks for doing this. Thank you very much. We will show you what happened today at the uh, Tour de France. The uh, Tour de France is starting to wind today. down. Next it was an amazing uh, race today. They're up on the hills. Got a few more hills to climb at the Tour de France. Six more massive hill climbs. Shaping up to be a great finish. But what happened today was something we hadn't seen for a while. Matteo Trenton won today's stage in a long breakaway, but a pair of riders were kicked out of the Tour de France this afternoon for an altercation. Luke Rowe and Tony Martin tossed for shoving each other. Both of these guys, strong support riders. It's a huge blow for Garant Tomas, who sits second behind overall leader Julian Alaphilippe. We'll see what happens with six climbs to go over the next three days. Want to show you what happened last night in the majors. Angels and Dodgers from last night. Mike Trout, is there a more complete baseball player in the majors than this guy? Look at the throw from the outfield. An absolute cannon. Play at the plate isn't even close. This was 98 miles an hour that he threw it from center field right to home plate. Angels won the ball game. They are still five games out of a wild card, but what a play by arguably the greatest player in baseball right now. Your Vancouver Canadiens uh, in action later this week. Little League Provincials, of course, carrying on. We can tell you your winners today were Dunbar as well as North Vancouver. Little Mountain is on the field right now with Laris. And don't forget, Vancouver Whitecaps in action tonight, taking on Calvary FC. From the Vancouver Golf Club. It's been an outstanding afternoon. We've got the Larry O'Brien trophy, but it's gone after today. So <laughs> it's so shiny. You can see yourself in that thing. It's amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. On ET Canada, we visit the set of Kim's Convenience to get Simu Lou's reaction to becoming a superhero. Plus, Jason Statham in London on why Dwayne Johnson is so hard to work with. All that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But first, back to you, Sophie. I sensed sarcasm there. Thanks, Roz. <laughs>
All right, a frightening encounter caught on video has rangers in one of America's most popular parks warning people about getting too close to wild animals. Tourists taking up close pictures of a giant bison when it suddenly charges. What started as a family's awe-inspiring encounter turned to horror in a matter of seconds. A crowd of curious tourists getting a close look at a massive bull bison. Then suddenly, it charges, plowing into a nine-year-old girl, launching her several feet into the air. The shocking video taken close to Yellowstone's famous Old Faithful Geyser, where wild bison graze in clusters. Bison can be aggressive. They can move quickly and they can get bothered uh, in, a, in a moment's notice. The girl rushed to a nearby clinic. Rangers say the child is lucky she was not seriously injured. Although bison attacks in Yellowstone are rare, it's not the first time tours have gotten too close. Oh God, no, no, I can't watch it. Rangers say stay at least 75 feet away from animals like bison or moose and more than 300 feet from bears or wolves. They're wild animals and they're huge. They can kill you. According to park officials, 50 people were standing just feet from the bison before it started charging. Getting close to wildlife is not a smart idea. And I know everybody likes to get that selfie. They like to get that great photo, but safety needs to come first. Park officials have so far decided not to issue citations to the girl's family. And as of now, the incident remains under investigation. It's one thing for yourself to get up close and then allow your children to be up close. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe just watch just, from your car. That's right. Stay in your car. Watch Planet Give Earth or something like that. It's a really good show. And the old Google. David Attenborough's so great. voice you can, can see everything. to sleep. Mm -hmm. A final word on the weather. Sure. So uh, things are really settling down. We've got sunshine on the way for us tomorrow. But there is showers in the forecast for Friday evening into Saturday morning. But that's about it. Mostly through those days, though, we'll be dry. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Christy. That's all the time we have for the news hour tonight. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night.